we certainly do say amen to that, don't we? Our God is faithful and true. And we're going to hang on to that, especially this morning, as we go into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. For if any of these verses hasn't stretched you so far, today is the day. Alright? We're all going to come out of here well stretched out of shape, I think. But Ephesians 1, verse number 7 is a very important verse for us to see. And so let's take a good look at it. It says so simply, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. There is much more to say. And I know what I have to share with you today is just going to start what we will hit today and what we will follow through with next week as well. But these are very important words for us. So let's talk to the Lord about it first. Heavenly Father, this is your word that's in front of us. And it confronts us, and it challenges us, and it changes us. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We will submit to your word today as we hear it, as we learn, as we apply. Lord, we need you. We desperately need you as we study this verse today. So guide us carefully through it and make us different people because of the work you've done in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you're scared to death, huh? No idea what I'm about to say. Do you find these words remarkable? Verse number seven. Maybe one word kind of stands out among all of them. Some people may say, well, the word forgiveness is right in the middle of this verse, and and it sure does stand out. Uh, To some people, the word forgiveness is more than just remarkable, it's unbelievable. I'm not talking about amazing unbelievable. I mean they just don't understand it. They, They don't believe it. They can't conceive it. They are sure that forgiveness is great for you, and you, you have forgiveness, and you have forgiveness, and you have forgiveness, and of course pastors have forgiveness, don't they? But for me, some people look at it this way as if, well, that's an entirely different story now when you're talking about me. See, many times the response simply goes like this, well, pastor, you just don't know what I've done. And that's true. I don't. In society, we have uh, a very complicated system of forgiveness. It's got rules, though they change all the time. It would be kind of like going out and playing tennis, where you have no idea when that net's going to go up a little higher or a little bit lower. Or when the lines around you that mark the out of bound would come in or go out. But they're constantly moving. And the net's constantly going up and down. And you find that very enjoyable to play now, don't you? When all the rules and all the boundaries seem to keep changing. That's our society. Do you know that? When it comes to forgiveness, it's a very complicated thing. Because there are some crimes... There are some actions, there are some words that are forgivable. Providing that uh, it's not exceedingly painful to do so. 
And there are other crimes, and there's other actions, and there's other words that are not forgivable. Because, usually, of the damage it creates. Sometimes how long the damage lasts. You see, in the same sense, some people are forgivable. You see, we've known them for a long time, and they've had a pretty good track record with us, and this was just one little mistake along the way. It was inadvertent, right? So, somehow we justify that as, Oh, they were just having a bad day. Or sometimes they'd be more generous. They were having a bad week. Usually we don't go as high as decade. Right? But we allow for certain things in here to say, well, you know, there's a reason why they did what they did. And we justify certain things and we put that under the caption of forgiven. But other people are not forgivable. It seems to us that it's their nature to be so cruel. It's their nature to be so so selfish, maybe. And so we see them and, and say, you know, it's their habit. Wherever they go, they inflict pain. Uh, everyone around them is, is uncomfortable. It's like sleeping with a porcupine for a pillow. I mean, you just feel that way around some. And you say, well, they're, they're in a different category altogether. Uh... And we come away justified even in thinking they're not forgivable. Don't we? So we have got a box for those folks too. Now, over the years of ministry, I have seen the forgiveness game. I've seen it on many different fronts. I've seen it played in many different ways. I've seen those who were able to harbor grudges for so many years. I've seen that. I've seen those who set conditions on forgiveness. Oh, I'll forgive you if. There's that little word. I've seen those who hold it out like a carrot to manipulate people, to do things, or to, to you know, just to control them in one way or another. We use forgiveness as a bait. Uh, I've seen it in churches. I've seen it tear apart churches and fellowships. And it's sad when I see that. I've seen the folks who carry around that uh, imaginary little black book of all the events and the people and the, and the dates when they've been hurt. They use that as leverage when it's to their advantage. I've seen that too. You've seen it, haven't you? Nothing I've told you this morning is a surprise. Those are the games that are played in our world and in our churches concerning forgiveness. And yet, to my horror, I've seen it most when I look in a mirror and I see a a very ungrateful and unforgiving heart looking back at me. Now, I'll be first to tell you that I love forgiveness. For me. How about you? We tend to think that way. And we're kind of slow and reluctant to share it with other people. I am absolutely overwhelmed with the forgiveness the Lord has given to us. I picture it like this. That he has a truck, a dump truck full of forgiveness. And he backs it up and dumps it on us. Overwhelms us. 
And yet, when it comes time for me to dispense forgiveness to another, I pull out a teaspoon. And I hand it to him that way. That's the picture I see every time I see this word forgiveness. When it sits in front of me, I say, that's a remarkable word, Lord. Because my struggle with it is, is going all the way back to my teenage years. And I recall this so, so very well. I grew up in a church where we had a lot of ritual. We had creeds that we would uh, recite every Sunday. I mean, you could close your eyes and go through the bulletin. You knew exactly what was next. We, we would start with the Apostles' Creed, and then we'd sing the Glory Patri, and then we'd do the, the, uh, the doxology, and it'd lead to the Lord's Prayer, and we'd go on and on that way. But this is the way I would say it, and I'm, I'm not imaginary with you. I'm not, you know, making this greater than what it is, but this is literally what I did. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You know what I left out? I did that every week. I didn't want to be measured... By God forgiving me as I forgave other people. Even as a teenager, I was conscious of that fact. That it didn't mesh. It just didn't mesh. And I could wish that I was exaggerating today, but I knew that in my heart. You could say, well, at least he was honest. But forgiveness was not something I was willing to accept fully. They say, what's that? It was not something I was willing to accept fully because in accepting forgiveness, I needed to also be forgiving. And I wasn't uh, willing to do that. So I convinced myself of this. I convinced myself that all that really mattered anyway was my relationship between me and God. And so I spent much of my time enjoying the fact that He forgave me and I chose to forget and ignore that between me and others, there weren't right things. I was just happy with keeping it a vertical thing. Forgiveness just between me and God. Have you ever been there? You know what I mean? Do you know what stops me in my tracks every time? I want to read it to you. It's in the next book. We're in Ephesians. Go over to Colossians for a minute. Colossians chapter 3. No, it's two books down, sorry. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12, verse number 13. It says in verse 12, So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... Oh, you like that, don't you? Isn't that sweet to hear? Those who are chosen by God. Those who are holy. Cleaned up very nicely, huh? Cleaned up, holy, standing before his presence, accepted as a beloved son. It doesn't stop. It says, put on. Put on. Oh, here's an action coming here. A very appropriate reaction in light of who we are in God. 
but it's more than just an action. It's a decisive and immediate response. It's a command, and it's of the nature we call in the Greek an aorist. It's a very definite command. It's a very uh, decisive reaction. It's an immediate reaction. It's a start now as if you've never done it before reaction. Our actions are to put on a heart of compassion right now. To put on kindness right now. Humility, gentleness, and patience right now. Bearing with one another and... Oh, what's the next phrase? Forgiving each other. Does it sound optional? No, it's not. And it says, in case you're saying, okay, where's the if after that? Well, there's no if. It says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Does that kind of cover a lot of territory? It does. And then, and then, here's the part that stops me every time. Just as, that's in proportion to, that's in to the same degree that the Lord forgave you. So should also you. That's where, that's where I stop every time. When I look at forgiveness, when people deal with forgiveness and they come in and they set up their, their games of forgiveness and they say, I'm willing to forgive if, and they go through all those, those complicated uh, uh, things that need to be accomplished for forgiveness to work, I go to this verse and I say, how did the Lord forgive you? How did he forgive me? That's stunning, isn't it? That's just stunning. We're going to study that today. But understand, as we study that, there's a reason for us to know this. Why he forgave us in the manner he forgave us. We are to forgive others just as, just as the Lord has forgiven us. Alright? Here's principle number one. Understanding forgiveness. Forgiveness is not measured by what man has done. It is measured by what Christ has done. Understand that as a principle. Number one, when it comes to forgiveness. Now, I don't have number two, or three, or four. I have number one. This is important for us to understand, and that's why I put it right at the top. Forgiveness is not measured by what man has done. It is measured by what Christ has done. You see, to play the game of forgiveness, uh, we have often followed man-made rules and somehow convinced ourselves that we were winning the game. Today we'll consult the original and wonderful guidelines of forgiveness given in God's Word, of course, uh, it's the next verse of our study in Ephesians 1, and it's in verse number 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now understand, as you look at this phrase here, forgiveness is one of the many blessings we have received from God. Isn't that true? It's a blessing, isn't it? It's a blessing. We like it. That's why we call it a blessing. So why is it so hard to share? Hold that question. 
Forgiveness is also one of the things that God has invested in you. That's been our topic all the way through this chapter. It's God's investment in you. He has forgiven you. And everything he has done is for a purpose. And this purpose is not merely so you feel better about the day. There is a greater purpose beyond all that we can see to us personally. He is building us to be like his son so we can serve. (laughs) Do you think forgiveness is part of that? It certainly is. God's investment is you so that we, you and me, so that we may be able to serve him. So forgiveness has to be in the story. Because that's part of our ministry. Right? Did you hear that? It's part of our ministry to be forgiving people. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now, I told you when I read that, there's something remarkable in there, and usually we focus on the word forgiveness. But there's something that kind of stands out to me that's just as precious or more in the fact that uh, we have it. Look again. In him we have. Right? We have. Don't, don't let the little words go by. Let's underscore this word for a minute. Um, it is the next of the verbs that we see in this sentence. The sentence in the Greek goes from verse 3 through verse 14. And as one single sentence, there are six verbs in there. Only six. All these other words. I showed you that picture a couple weeks ago. But the first one we noticed in verse number 4 was that he chose us. And we like that, don't we? We also saw the second verb in verse number 6, that he has predestined us to adoption as sons. He made us acceptable. He, he's bestowed upon us grace. We saw that, and we say, wow, that's wonderful too. Now, the third verb is the one we have here today. We have... And it says, we have redemption, we have forgiveness of our trespasses. But here's the beauty of this. We have it now. We have it now. That's the tense. It's a present tense verb. We're not waiting for it to come. We're not just hoping that maybe it might come. We are having it. The word echo, having, holding. We are holding it now. We possess it. It doesn't say we're earning it, does it? We are earning redemption. We are earning... It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we are buying it somehow. We have it. Now, where have we found earning anywhere in this chapter so far? He chose us. Did we earn that? No. He he predestined us. He made us his son. Did we earn that? No, in keeping with the whole concept, to understand this, that as he chose us without merit, and he placed us in the body of Christ and adopted us as his children without merit, there is no merit in this verse either. On our part, nothing we do. Underscore that. We have it. We have it, it says. We are having. This speaks of reality. We call it the indicative mood. It's reality. There's no if in verse number 7. Do you see it? 
look carefully. Make sure the pastor is telling you the truth. There's no if there. We have it. There's no maybes. You don't see a maybe, do you? Nothing like that? See, if the Greek language wanted to say maybe, it could say maybe. They've got a potential mood they can work with. They didn't use that here. Paul didn't. If they wanted to talk about something that was just merely possible, they could have said it. But they didn't. In this word, it's actual. We have it. We are having, we are holding redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We are holding it. We have it. Now, there's a great picture I'd like to present just in, in a illustrative form here. Back in the days of Martin Luther, go back to the 1500s. I mean, you're going back a long ways, I know it. The, the church in power was the Catholic Church. Uh, they devised a program that uh, brought more money into their accounts, and they sold forgiveness. It was called indulgences. They sold it. Now, if you were to study Catholic theology today, they kind of stepped back from the whole idea, and this is their explanation of what that was. An indulgence, technically, is a remission of the temporal punishment which would otherwise be inflicted for a previously forgiven sin as a natural consequence of having sinned. An indulgence, thus, does not forgive the guilt of sin, nor release from the eternal punishment, which church doctrine associates to unforgiven mortal sins. It is not a permit to commit sin, a pardon of future sin, nor a guarantee of salvation for anyone or for another. Ordinarily, forgiveness of mortal sins is obtained through confession, that is, penance or reconciliation. There is a common misconception that according to the doctrine of the Catholic Church, indulgences forgave sins. The Catholic Church teaches instead that indulgences only relieve the temporal punishment resulting from the effect of sin, the effect of rejecting God, the source of good, and that a person is still required to have his grave sins absolved ordinarily, ordinarily through the sacrament of confession to receive salvation. Got it? You say, what? That's exactly what I'm doing when I'm reading this. That's very confusing. But the practice of selling indulgences, when it was received by the people of that day, they thought, I just bought forgiveness. That's how they conceived it. Throw all the words out. That's what they were living by. They, that's where their hope was anchored. They had just bought forgiveness. And they walked around with a little piece of paper in their hand saying, I purchased it. I purchased it. That was their hope. That was their hope. That's very sad. <laughs> with all the things that were wrong about it, and we can spend a whole day on that, there is something we do glean from it. They thought they held forgiveness in their hands. We know we hold forgiveness. Isn't that what the verse just told us? We are holding it. We are having it. It's not a little piece of paper. It's not given to us by a priest. It's not given to us by a pastor. It's not something we have purchased in any way. It was given to us by God. Given to us by God. 
And the only way to have it is to take it. It's a free gift, right? It's a free gift. Given for us to take, given for us to hold. Do you have that today? Do you have the forgiveness of your sins given by God today? Does it seem too good to be true, maybe? I'm not talking about just forgiveness. I'm talking about complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. John said this in 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and to do what else? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know the verse then, don't you? You say, okay, that's that's great. How much is cleansed? All? Forgive us all our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that forgiveness is unearned. It matches the passage, what we're studying here. It's unearned. There's no bargains in there. There's no manipulation. There's no strategies on our part. But we have it. We, it's something we hold because God gave it to us. And that's the fact that we see it as, as we study this verse. Start in verse number 7. First number fact we have, number 1, we have it. We have it. So hang on to that part. That's important. Fact number two that goes with it is that it's free to us, but it's not cheap. It's free to us, but it's not cheap. Underscore two more thoughts. In him we have redemption through his blood. There is the part you underscore. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Two thoughts right there. Through his blood and through the riches of His grace. If I wanted to draw a diagram for you today of of a picture of this phrase, through His blood, we do it like this. You take a circle. You have a circle in front of you, and you have an arrow. It starts outside the circle, and it goes and penetrates in the circle, and it goes through the circle, and it comes out the other side of the circle. That's called through. All right? Now, the picture is, is using that word... And it's saying our our redemption is through His blood, right? That's why God designed it. There is no redemption outside of the blood of Christ. None. There's no other avenue God has established. It must be through the blood of Christ. Only through the blood of Christ. And that's a diagram that we have in our minds now. That this, this circle represents the blood of Christ. It was a terrible price to pay for sin. This is something that that works in my own heart. Sinful acts that are committed, and then a recall that Jesus died for that. I think, but that doesn't seem right. It wasn't a big sin. He died for little ones too, didn't he? The same death, the same horrors of crucifixion, the same torture on a cross? How many sins does that cover? All of them. A thought. Oh, a simple thought. Oh, it wasn't right to think that thought. Who died for that thought? Christ did. Does that alarm you to think that even the smallest of sins were paid for by the blood of Christ? It's true though, isn't it? 
And that, that's, a, that's something that, that I, I asked the Lord to make me so sensitive to it because this is what my Savior died for. He died for these things to pay for the penalty of that sin. All the way through the New Testament, you'll find it. As you compare passages of sin and how we are called to, to uh, um, turn to the Lord in forgiveness and such, but it's always linked to the Christ who's been crucified. Notice how often, start reading through the epistles and see how often you have the word sin here, and within 5, 10, maybe 15 words, you've got Christ crucified. It's a pattern all the way through the New Testament. It's reminding us of the penalty, the price. It's not cheap. But what Christ did to forgive us. See, we're not to be in bondage to sin. You know that. I know that. Romans 6 tells us so. But the reality is, those who Christ has set free are what? Free indeed. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Do we live that? He's paid for these sins. We were in Colossians. So let's go back there just one more time. Someday we're going to study that book too. Colossians 2. We were over there. But chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. These are verses that really are outstanding. It says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us, all, you see it? All our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he has disarmed, disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, your sins. Forgiveness. Are you sure they're canceled out? You just read the verse, didn't you? Are you sure they're canceled out? Are you sure they've been nailed to the cross? Is that something you do? Or is that something he did? See, tradition teaches us that in the Old Testament days, the high priest, would go into the Holy of Holies. Only allowed there once a year on the Day of Atonement. But he would go into the Holy of Holies. And tradition says that they had bells put around the, the hem of his, his robe and they had a rope tied on his leg. And he would go into that Holy of Holies and he would offer up the sacrifice uh, for the sins of the people. Outside the people waited to have him return. The priests and all the others who would be around that location, they'd wait. Because to them it was a sign that their sins were forgiven if he came out. And if those bells stopped jingling, and maybe they heard a little thud, they thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, God wasn't pleased. And they'd start to pull the rope and pull the body back out. See, it alarmed them. The, the holiness of God was understood. It's unfortunate they didn't live by it. But whether that is a true tradition or not, I wouldn't want to live in a system like that, would you? When you don't know if your sins are actually forgiven? When you're not positive that, that 
you know, that forgiveness extends to me. Or, if it's only partial forgiveness. Would you like that system? I wouldn't. How do I know that forgiveness is complete? I told you it was complete, right? How do I know that's true? What is it linked to? The death of Christ, right? The death of Christ. Was his death partial? He just kind of died? How do you do that? I'm not sure. Some mornings I wake up with a touch of rigor mortis. Right? What is that? Did Jesus die or didn't he? Yes. Completely? Yes. Guess what our forgiveness is tied to then? The death of Christ. It's based on his death. It's not based on circumstances. I'm thankful for that. It's not based on individual considerations. It's not on, on the ability you have to make your prayers sound sincere. It's not based on any bargain that you have made. It says, in him we are having redemption. We have forgiveness of our trespasses through his blood. See it? Without him, without his blood being shed, we wouldn't have it. With him, with his blood being shed, we have it. That's important. Through his blood. Second thing we notice as well in the same verse. Oops, got to turn back. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Second thing we notice is, it's according to the riches of his grace. <laughs> Again, to underscore this, it's not anything we have done. Do you see it? According to the riches of whose grace? His grace. I said this last week. I'll repeat it. Anytime you mix any ingredient in with grace, it is no longer grace. It is no longer grace. Even a speck of merit, it is no longer grace. My goal today is to eliminate the little games we play with forgiveness. And I haven't even defined the word yet. Redemption. Forgiveness. Haven't even done that yet. I also would like to add the beautiful measure by which he's done it in verse number 8. These are some of my favorite words. Which he lavished on us. Doesn't that just sound delicious? Lavished on us. Those are some of the things that we're going to look at, especially next week. But I wanted to set before you today the manner in which we have come to receive this forgiveness. How did it ever become that we should have it, that we should hold it? How did that ever happen? We go back to verse number four. Did we bring about choosing on our own? No. We look at verse number 5. Did we bring about our adoption by God? Did we bring it about? No. We look at verse 3. Where it says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Did we bring that about? Did we cause that? No. 
So why would verse 7 look different? Did we bring about our own forgiveness? No. We have it, but we were given it. We were given it by God. Oh, pastor, let me ask you that question. What about our confession? Our confessing it. We already quoted the verse. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I knew you were going to ask that question. What about confessing? Isn't that part of the ingredients here? The word's homologeo in the Greek. To confess is to say the same thing. If you remember 1 John 1, 9 carefully, if we confess our sins, what are we talking about there? Sin, right? What are we saying about sin? The exact same thing that God is saying about sin. We recognize sin as an ugly thing, don't we? We recognize sin as a deplorable thing in his eyes. We, we, we tend to think at the moment it's attractive. We tend to think that it's exciting. And then later our conscience comes, providing that it's, it's sensitive and it starts to hurt. And we feel shame. And more times than not, we turn and we run the other way. Because we see ourselves as unworthy in His presence. And you know what? We are. <laughs> we are unworthy. There's something wonderful about reaching this place where we see, where we say what God says about sin. You see, what God has already seen and what God has already said is already done, isn't it? He's already stated His words on sin. We cannot add anything to the recognition of sin. God already recognizes it as it is. See, we're not changing a thing here. Uh, we're not getting any sort of credit because we agree with Him on this point. Don't take merit into this story either. As if all of a sudden, well, we earn special favor from God because we now see it as He sees it. Sin has already been declared from God as to what it is. The penalty has already been stated. The act of forgiveness is accomplished through the blood of Christ. We're not adding a single thing to it when we confess it. See, the rest of that verse is what's key to that understanding. Forgiveness is not based on what is obvious. It's based on his character. Because after he says, if we confess our sins, he says, he is faithful, right? And just to forgive us our sins. That's where it comes to the focus. He's faithful. How often? All the time, right? That's his character. Always faithful. Is he faithful in his view of sin? Yes. Is he faithful in the penalty of sin? Yes. Is he faithful in the price that was paid by his son for our sin? Yes. Is he faithful to forgive us our sins? Yes. Is he faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Yes. You see where the focus is on that verse? 
It's not on us, what we're doing to bring this about. It's on Him who has brought it about. He's just. He's righteous. He always does what is right. Is His view on sin right? Yes, it will never change. Is the penalty for sin right? Yes. The soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. God's always right. The acceptance of His Son's life in exchange for yours. Is that right? You say, yes, it's right. It is right, because God is just. And that's what He's done. Is His forgiving of our sins right? Yes. Because he's just. Is his cleansing us from all sins right? Yes. Are you starting to enjoy where you're going here? The forgiveness that God gives to you, it is not conditional, folks. Only based on the blood of Christ and according to the riches of the mercy of God. You did not earn it. You could not keep it by merit. It was a gift given to you. Do you have it? Do you have it? That's what he's telling us. I don't see how any of this can be earned. It's only received by his grace. Now, you understand at least this far. But why did God invest forgiveness in us? Why is it there? Why did he do this? And I say, among all the other things, it's so that we might serve him. You know, it's very likely that uh, there are issues represented here, as people always carry issues with them. We all do. And right now, as things start to turn this corner, you start to feel a little uncomfortable, and so do I. Because forgiveness has been withheld. Not Not on God's part, but on our part. We have withheld forgiveness. Maybe it's to the point where it'd be mighty hard to let go now. Can we take the first step here today? The first step, maybe it would take many steps to go. But when's the last time you told God that you're reluctant to forgive? When's the last time you told Him you're resistant to forgive? Do you know He knows that already? You're not going to surprise Him. Like you say, oh, I didn't know that. God knows our hearts, doesn't he? He knows them so well. I, I, I encourage us to do this. In the issue of forgiveness, and it, when it comes to a horizontal thing, and we look at somebody and we think, I just can't. Let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to what we just read here this morning. What is the nature of forgiveness? It's a gift from God that we hold. We hold. Do you know, we possess some of the greatest treasures this world will ever know. Paul says we have within us the treasure of the gospel. Does the world need it? Yes. Who has it? We do. This world is overcome with sin. Desperate need of forgiveness. Who has it? We do. Why are we reluctant to share? Why, why do we hesitate? 
Why do we feel like we don't have the ability to forgive? Maybe it's because we're focusing on we and on not on God. Because what I've read about him, he can sure forgive. The perfect place to realize forgiveness is to see what God has done in you. I know, we, we have a ways to go with this. Uh, maybe this is the first step in a corrected relationship. But this is what God has done in you. This is his investment in you. This is his investment in me. And we can't walk away from this one, can we? We can't walk away from any of these things. But we can't just step away from it and say, well, that's not important. It is important. If we're going to serve him, we have to share what he has given to us. Forgiveness is in that list, isn't it? Maybe we need to talk to him. Heavenly Father, we bow before you today, overwhelmed with what we see in your word. You are a powerful God, and such a loving, merciful God, to have looked upon us with the desire to forgive and accomplished it through the giving of your Son who died for us, that we might have it today. Lord, that's, that's an overwhelming thing for us. And maybe we, we need time to think and understand that. But it's your Holy Spirit that impresses us with the truth. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, your work be done in our midst, and impress your truth in our hearts. Lord, in the process of understanding this, open our eyes to see our brother, our sister. Maybe, Lord, it comes very uncomfortable in this, but it's what we need to do. It's what we're called to do. Forgiving each other just as Christ also has forgiven us. It's a lesson that puts us all in kindergarten here, Lord. Teach us the ABCs of it, the one, two, threes of it, and help us to grow. That your forgiveness might be displayed in us for your honor and for your glory, so that we might serve you as we ought to. In Jesus' name, amen.